Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. There is so much wisdom found in this little sentence. Our proverb this morning is very general. It is a simple command. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. The command is apply. But in the command, there are so many, so many principles for us to learn. First, we learn that our hearts and our ears can be instructed. God made us, and the way that he made us, he gave us the capacity to learn. The second principle is presuming on the first that he gave us the responsibility and the command to learn. So he made us with the ability to learn, but then he gave us the responsibility to learn. Because wisdom and morality are not passive, they are not neutral. Here Solomon commands us to apply our hearts and our ears to instruction and knowledge. We are supposed to be active in pursuing them. Third, though we are commanded to be active in the pursuit of knowledge and instruction, the pursuit is an acknowledgement of need. We are to be open to truth. We are to, to seek to fill the void that is in us. We can tend to think of this as passivity. We need to allow God to work on us. But in reality, it is receptivity. And this principle is borne out in the other proverb, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In all of this, the message remains simple and clear. Wisdom teaches us to learn. And that means that wisdom teaches us to discipline our hearts and minds to know and understand truth. But this is an exhortation to confess our sins. So how do we get there? We must confess our reluctance to learn. Sin has hardened our hearts and made our ears stubborn and our necks stiff. We have not feared God as he commanded. And we have not applied our hearts and ears to knowledge and instruction. Many factors play into this. First is our fallen nature. We are sinners. And we know this because the Bible told us so. Second is a sinful response to blessing. When we are blessed, in the state of blessing, men are prone to become high-minded. When the Bible tells us about Israel, it says, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. What that means is that when we get blessed, we have a tendency to forget our, de our dependency and our need on God. And this is readily of evident in our culture and society, which has turned from God and 
and now it hates him in many ways. A third factor is a sinful response to suffering. Instead of allowing God to instruct us in our pain, we can become hardened to him and reject him. We can start to believe the devil's lies about him, that he is a miser and he is selfish. But none of these factors or these excuses are valid. God is love, and we know this because since creation, all the invisible attributes and qualities of God may be seen in the world that he made. And so we are without excuse. Moreover, he gave us his word, and he sent us Jesus. God truly is love. So confess, repent, and get to work and start learning his teachings and his words of knowledge. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins to God. introduction to the entire Sermon on the Mount two weeks ago, and last week we did an introduction to the Beatitudes, and today we are actually getting into the Beatitudes. Um, and Jesus is preaching to his disciples on the Mount, and Matthew has revealed Jesus as the newly coronated King, the Messiah. He did this uh, by recounting to us his birth and his baptism and his miracles and the multitudes of followers that have come to him. Jesus is the promised Messiah and he comes with power. And his message is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And he's come to initiate that kingdom on earth. Now this is the long expected promise and hope of the Jews. Um, this, this is what they're looking for, this redemption, this Messiah. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is informing his followers of what his kingdom is like. So he's announced the coming of the kingdom, and his disciples have come to him because they've seen the miracles. And now he's telling them what his, expectation, his expectations are of his people and how his law works. And the sermon is a revelation of the king or the Messiah's counterculture. Jesus is, is bringing a new way to live to his people. He's, he's, his, in, in essence, he's saying, you know, what your expectations are, what you've inherited from the fathers, are mis, misconceptions. And he's, and he's bringing a counterculture. And, and he's, he's bringing it with power. He's bringing it with demonstrations of the power of God. He's bringing it with miracles. And, and he's bring, bringing it so that these people know that he is the Messiah. He is the one with the words of life. But they're also confused because it doesn't, doesn't make sense to them because of their perspective. Because Jesus wins by dying. And this means that his teachings are really difficult for us to wrap our heads around because 
when God reveals himself to us in Jesus, we learn what we don't expect. He surprises us. Jesus is God, the one who created the world, and who everybody is commanded to worship in the entire earth for all time and for all eternity. And he comes to mankind and he humbles himself. He comes down to his disciples and he washes their feet. He feeds the hungry people. He goes to the poor, the outcasts. He comes to us and, and he serves us. God comes to us and he serves us. But we owe him our service. And that serving, that love that God shows to us, it changes us. It changes everything. Jesus, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. He saved the world. So he, it changes everything. It changes us. It changes our relationship with God. It changes our relationship with our fellow man. And it changes our relationship with the world. Everything is changed by Jesus and his love. In the power of God and in the revelation of God, we start to be, we begin to see things clearly. And we start to realize that what we thought was up is down. And what we thought was bad is good. And God is hiding his kingdom in plain sight. It's right in front of us. We're enveloped in it. It's all around us. We just need the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it and the hearts to feel it. So we come to God for revelation. We come to God for those eyes and those ears and those hearts. Uh, in, in my personal devotions this week, I was reading through Psalms 1 and 2, um, which function as a, an introduction to all the rest of the Psalms. The two, the two Psalms together function as an introduction to the, the whole book of the Psalms. And I was also reading through Proverbs chapter 1, which functions as an introduction to all the Proverbs. And I was struck by a couple things. And the first thing was that the Psalms start with beatitude. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's beatitude. And Psalm 2, which proclaims the victory of the Messiah over all of his enemies, ends with a beatitude. Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. 
when his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. The Psalms open with beatitude. And here we learn that the gospel starts with beatitude. Jesus sets his disciples down, the people who come to him, the multitudes, they're sitting on the mountain, and he starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Jesus. Next, in Proverbs 1, where King Solomon instructs his, his sons, princes who would be kings, we are reminded that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And here we learn that the Beatitudes, the blessing of God, starts with humility. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? In the parallel passage in Luke 6, he says, Blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's certainly that picture of the downtrodden in this life. There, there's, there's a connection because the realities of life on this world are, are, are types of spiritual realities. And, and when we look at the poor, we understand what poor is. Those who are needy. Who, who don't have the means necessary to provide for themselves. Now in Matthew, Jesus, uh, or Matthew adds to the poor, the poor in spirit. And that addition is important because um, it makes this broader in its application. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't diminish the truth of the, the, the beatitude for those who are actually poor. It remains true. You can be poor in spirit and be poor. But for those who are not poor, it gives us hope. And in America, we need that kind of hope because we are not poor, relatively speaking. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This means humility. Blessed are the humble. It means losing your high opinion of yourself. Or more accurately, it means perceiving yourself as you truly are in relation to God. When God creates us, he gives us blessing. Creation is a blessing. God created the world and it was good. He gives us life and breath. He, he gives us uh, self-awareness. He, he gives us uh, spirits and souls. And these are good things. He created us in his own image. A sense of I, who am I? That's a blessing. But because of sin, we are fallen and broken. And because of sin, we have elevated us ourselves in our own sight and made ourselves judges of God. We call it pride. But 
we have no justification for this kind of sin. Because the reality is, is that we are entirely and utterly dependent on God for everything that we have and everything that we are. Perceiving ourselves as we are in relation to God is perceiving that we are desperately, each and every one of us are desperately in need of salvation. We are scum. We're dirt. We're worms. And every human being who is punished eternally in hell is doing it because he deserves it. God's doing that because he deserves it. And there, but for the grace of God, all of us are going. But God is gracious. And that's why we have a beatitude. And when it comes to beatitude, humility is foundational. When it comes to blessing, humility is the basis. This is very consistent with what the scriptures teach all the way through. Um, I've already mentioned Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why should we fear God? Well, because we are worms before him and we deserve his eternal judgment. In the prophets, we read in Isaiah 66, For all those things my hand has made, God speaking, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. We just finished studying Micah, for those of you who are visiting. But in Micah 6, he, the Lord tells us, what God wants from us is to walk humbly with Him. Humbly with Him. What does the, the Lord require of you? To walk humbly with your God. Throughout the Psalms, we just read in Psalm 2, you know, kiss the Son, serve Him with trembling, rejoice in trembling. But it's all the way through the Psalms. David in, in chapter 69 says, The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. The historical books are filled with stories of humility and blessing. Pride and destruction, humility and blessing. It's the, there's the there's your two paths, your two choices that you, you get from God. Either you humble yourself and you may be blessed by God, or you lift yourself up and he will knock you flat. So Abraham humbles himself and God blesses him. Joseph humbles himself and God blesses him. Moses was called the most humble man on the face of the earth. God blesses him. Ruth was humbled and God blessed her because she did it in faithfulness. David wrote the Psalms. The kings of Israel and Judah, example after example of humility and blessing and pride and, and arrogance and destruction. Esther, there's story after every story in the Old Testament, you can put it in one of these two camps and it's faithfulness and humility and blessing or pride and arrogance and destruction. So Jesus is reminding the disciples of this truth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Without humility, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. 
Without humility, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And all of the blessings of being in the kingdom require our entering into it. All of the blessings of the kingdom of God require our participation in the kingdom of God. And we can't get there without humility. It's impossible. And that's why this beatitude comes first. Because it's presupposed throughout the rest of them. And that's why it's foundational. And this is how this works. Jesus comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this is good news. Because God's kingdom is a gift. God, Jesus comes and freely gives the kingdom of God to his people. He, just, he says, believe, and it's yours. Believe that I am the son of God. Believe that God has loved you by sending me to you. Believe that your Savior is here, that, that the Messiah is come. And, and this is free. It's a free gift, and it comes with power. It comes with healing, with peace, with food, and ultimately with eternal, eternal life. That's the promise of the gospel, eternal life. Resurrection from the dead. But it must be received. It must be received. And this requires humility because you can't fill a cup that's already full. If we fill ourselves with our own spirits, and we make ourselves the judge of God, and we refuse to hear the words that he says, and accept the truth that he brings, we can't receive what he says. Our hearts are hard. Our ears are deaf and our eyes are blind. We must recognize our need because it's the sick that need physicians. The broken that need repairing. And that said, as soon as we acknowledge our need, God is faithful. And he proves himself so. He's here. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't entice us, he doesn't tease us, and then not deliver. He's not a shyster. He's not a miser. He's not trying to trick us. As soon as we humble ourselves, God is here and his kingdom is here. It's among us. Jesus says, in the present tense, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's here and now. We are in. What glorious news. It's here and it's ours for the taking. That's why the gospel is good news. Jesus came. He established his kingdom and he rules it. Until all his enemies are put under him. And he gives it to us. Good news. But the first law he lays down... And he does it by both word and example, is that the kingdom spreads through humility, humble submission, and obedience. James tells us, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So, how do we apply this? Acknowledge your need. Give it up. 
if, if you're holding back on anything, on anything in your life, if you're holding back on selling, selling out for Jesus, give it up. Say, I need Jesus, and I need him in every area of my life. Do you want blessing? Do you want the beatitude? Do you want happiness? Then deflate your pride. Give it up. Look to God for his word and look to him for revelation and truth and light. But that light, if you will humble yourself and receive it, is transformative. It changes you. So where do you go for this revelation? Well, read your Bibles regularly. Feed your spirit and your soul with the truth of the scriptures. Read your Bibles. When Jesus was tempted... What did he do? He quoted scripture. We, we need to be like John Bunyan, who Spurgeon said of him that he bled bibline. That means he was so saturated with the scriptures that it just came out of him. It oozed out of him. That's what we should be like. So read your Bibles. Study them. Pray. Pray. Humble yourself and pray. Acknowledge your need to God. Beg James tells us, if you want wisdom, all you have to do is ask. Ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Pray. Worship. Worship God. Worship Him. In worship, we come before the holy and almighty God into His very throne room. And He transforms us. He reestablishes covenant with us. He makes us new. And as we worship Him, and as we participate in the fellowship of the saints, He binds us together and makes us one and fills us with truth. And then live in His kingdom and seek Him out. Keep doing it. Keep reading, keep worshiping, keep praying. Keep studying. And as you do this, become receptive to Him and His work in your life, and you will be blessed indeed. Now, as soon as we submit to God, as soon as we do that, and as soon as we start to look at things through new eyes, we find that the gospel of God's kingdom is emotional. We are not shells and we are not robots. God has put hearts in our souls, in our, in our bodies. He's, he's made us to feel. He's given us emotions, and emotions are a gift. As soon as we submit to God and we humble ourselves to Him, we find that we must mourn. Uh, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Emotional pain and distress. Mourning. Is a natural fallout submitting to God. It's natural and it's healthy if it's experienced in faith. When we allow the bright bright light and revelation of God into our souls and we see the grossness and the depth and the nastiness of our depravity there's nothing for it but to mourn. When we understand what our sin is, 
It's gross and nasty. It, it's death. And death is ugly. And it brings mourning. And the greater the revelation that God brings to our lives, the longer the exposure to God's truth, the more sensitive we become to the minutiae of how sin works and how twisted we are. How, how it's defrauded God of His glory and injured us and those around us. In our brokenness and our emptiness, we cry out. We mourn and we weep and we sorrow because sin has made our lives heavy and burdensome. Suffering and pain caused by selfishness and greed start to become evident to us, both in us and around us. And we grieve. But in our grief, we take hold of the gospel promise of comfort. We know that God is, and that He loves us, and that He will right all wrongs, ultimately. That doesn't mean we can be, become stoic. There's, there's a way to, to, to think about this where you just say, well, God's in control of everything, so I don't need to worry about it. You know, I just, I can mind my own business. We cannot do that. We cannot become stoic in our dealing with grief. In fact, we must not do that. The, the gospel means that we can have hope in the valleys of despair. But with David, we say, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. So have a heart. Feel. Emote. Grieve over your sin. Grieve over your sin and the sin of others. Observe how ugly and vile sin is. Look at the, the consequences of it. Recognize it. Don't close your eyes to the problems in our world. So look, look at the ghetto. Look, look at the ghetto. Look at the war zone. Look in the eyes of the people that are living there, in that, that hellhole. Think about those who are so depressed they commit suicide. See the murdered babies in our, in our land. The broken homes. Divorce. Battered women. The lonely and the abandoned elderly. People that have no hope. Feel their hurt. Cry with them. Cry for them. And believe that all of this is not pointless. There is a God and there's comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. And then, as you see all this sin outside and around you, make the connection between all of this and the sin in your own heart. Understand 
the difference is not so great. Understand that while it's easy to judge the consequences of sin in other people or the consequences of sin in other cultures, that there's nothing special about us in and of ourselves that keeps us from being just that way. Because there but for the grace of God go I. Grieve over how deep and desperate your need really is. So have a heart, but don't despair. Because there is a God and there is comfort. That the, the, the promises of the gospel remain true. The good news is for those who mourn. Jesus gives us victory over that mourning. We can have hope. And in our grief and hope of comfort, we find that we have work to do. God is good and he has given us strength and responsibilities. And there's blessing in faithfully doing his work. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? Meekness is not weakness. We can bless it. The word there, blessed are the meek, it, it means uh, meek, gentle, and mild. Now, we we can think of that. We we associate that as weak, but it's not. Meekness is strength under control. It's self-control. Jesus' law, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, is intentional. Think about it. Jesus was God, and he could have called down legions of angels to destroy all of his accusers and oppressors. Instead, he intentionally used his enormous reserves of strength to suffer on our behalf. He used his his power to build a kingdom that is true, lasting, and ultimately will cover the face of the entire earth. And he did it on our behalf. He's sharing it with us. But his kingdom is not of this world. He's patient and he waits on God to reward his efforts. He's our example. He's our model. And the meek are those who are willing to be the one to take the hit. They will say, I see the problem, and I will take responsibility for it. Put that on my account. I will pay that debt. Especially if it's their own of their own causing. If, 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 if you're a sinner, as we all are, and you're suffering because you deserve it, then you bear it patiently because you deserve it. But exceptionally when it's not your fault. When it's a problem that you did not create, or that it's but you're willing to, to say, well, hey, let's stop the fighting and the bickering and let's deal with the problem. I you know, okay, he said, she said, whatever. I'm going to pay the debt so we can get past this and move forward. That's what meekness does. And Jesus is our model. He died. He bore our sins on the cross. And in so doing, he took the kingdom of Satan from him. It, it's, uh, Jesus has victory and he's crowned Lord of heaven and earth in the resurrection because God is. And because the gospel is true.
So be patient. Believe the gospel. Be willing to suffer for the sake of others. Lead by example. And this is the kind of leader who leads for the sake of those under him. He, he's not doing this for, for his own benefit or his own glory primarily. I mean, that's, that's always a side benefit of it. But when he leads, he's doing it because he genuinely is providing for and caring for those. He's shepherding the sheep. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, the meek is more concerned with honoring God than himself. So be meek, be patient, be willing to suffer for the sake of others. And the irony here is that in blessing others, the meek is blessed and ultimately will inherit the earth, even if it never happens this side of death. Because things may not look or feel so wonderful in the meantime, but God rewards faithfulness, and there's nothing hidden that will, he, he will not reveal. Next we see that Jesus' law, his kingdom gospel, is aspirational. And I'm sorry about that, but I had to find the word that rhymed <laughs> the others. But God's kingdom is aspirational. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who aspire to justice. They aspire to justice. They long for righteousness. And it motivates them and drives them to look for it and to desire it and seek it. They yearn for righteousness. What does that look like? It looks like sanctification. It looks like vigilance and diligence in the pursuit of God. It looks like holiness. When you're hungry for righteousness, you start figuring out how to get it. Now, it looks like holiness, but not in the sense that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness have arrived. Not by any means. In fact, they would probably be the first to contest any such notion. Their hunger and thirst is driven by the recognition of the lack of it. So they're working really hard to get it. But it, it, but it is a deep longing within them. And their soul yearns for the breath of fresh air that comes with seeing God's beauty and perfection and His holiness. It's the answer to sin. It's the answer to our problem. Righteousness. And it's not perfectly attainable in this life. So they remain hungry and thirsty for it. They yearn for it. But they hunger and thirst in hope because we have the promise of the gospel. They shall be filled. They shall be filled. In the meantime, it is better to long for what is good than to wallow in what is not. So since we can't have it now, we're better off being hungry and thirsty for it than to wallow in our sin. And these blessed souls live for the future. They live for the day when God's righteousness will truly cover the face of the earth perfectly. And in so doing, they make the present better. 
They make the present, they are faithful lights and witnesses of God. So yearn for justice. Remember Micah? One of the things God requires of us is to do justly. Do justly. This only comes by seeking justice and righteousness. Discern wisdom and truth. And long for good. Pray for the actualization of God's kingdom and work for the establishment of it. Be sanctified. Be holy. Be righteous. Be good. And this, as always, starts in your own heart. And it is a constant battle. To the, till your dying day, you will fight against sin in your own heart. And you will be hungry and thirsty. But being hungry and thirsty is blessed. The battle is worth it because the gospel is true. So, as Jesus blessed people, the humble recipients of his grace and kingdom, who mourn over sin and its consequences in our world, and sacrificially labor for his kingdom and long for his justice, we believe that these blessings, these beatitudes, are already as good as ours and are sure to come. Because Jesus is faithful and good and he has promised them to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. we rejoice in the salvation of our Lord. Jesus came and proclaimed blessing and the promise of eternal life to his people. That blessing is here promised to his people corporately. We join with the church throughout the ages. We are all united to Jesus, the one head of the body in the sacrament. And it is promised to his people here, locally, and individually and personally. Jesus died for you. Believe and confess your sins, and his blood washes away your sins. And his body atoned for your debt. And now he promises to be with us always by his spirit in us. This table is for all who are baptized and under the, the authority of Christ and his body, the church. When we eat the bread and drink the wine, we acknowledge that we are sinners and we're desperately in need of God's mercy and that we trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. 
Again, thank you and blessings.